You know, I'm thinking about this message, and it's uh, part two of a, uh, a message I began uh, last time I spoke to you. It's in Matthew chapter 5, and it's uh, the second half of uh, Jesus, but I says. As I thought about this for the last several days, I thought that, you know what, this could possibly be the most important message you hear this year. It's, it's had that much weight impact on me. I hope the Lord will bless me to communicate it to you, and I hope you can grasp it despite my stammering, and that it'll make some sense to you. Last time we were together, and I was, when I was speaking to you, uh, we looked at Matthew um, chapter 5, and we looked at those six but I says. They basically start from chapter 5, verse 21, and they go all the way to the end of the chapter in verse 48. I will not reread those again, but I want to try to give you the big picture. This is what I believe Jesus was doing. <clears throat> Many times when we sin, when we sin, we steal and we use our hands to steal, or we covet and we use your eyes to covet, or we lie and we use our mouth to lie. And many of the rules and, and, and commandments try to keep us from sinning with our hands and our feet and our eyes and our mouth. But what Jesus is doing is he's telling us that even if we were to cut our hand off because I stole, we hadn't fixed the problem because the sin's still here. And even if I plucked out my eye because I looked at something I shouldn't have, I haven't fixed the problem because the sin's still here. So what Jesus was talking about is not cutting the sin off from the heart to the hand or the eye or the feet. It's getting it before it embeds in the head and the heart. And how do you do that? Okay, That's what I tried to do the first time I spoke to you. And that was hard enough. But today, Lord willing, I want to try to talk to you about cutting it off before it gets into the heart and the head. And how do I do that without just setting up a brand new set of rules? How do you do that? And it turns out that I've been wrestling with that all week long. Well, actually two weeks because we had a guest speaker last week. So I had 14 days to agonize over this and try to figure out how to explain it. And I don't know if I've come, but I'm going to start, give it a shot anyway. But, but, but the answer is, it's both. It's both works, and it's both faith. We need both. And let me give you an illustration. This actually came from, as we spoke to the guys. And I think this was Lincoln's illustration, and I'm going to steal, but I'm going to expand on it. And this is true for me. I am actually, I believe myself to be very weak, in prayer, okay. I just, I just don't pray. And I just, I, I'm just let a couple days go by and I haven't prayed, and I'm just weak at it. And and I think to myself, I want to get better at praying. So I impose a rule on myself, a self-imposed rule. This is to help my discipline. I'm not doing it, and I'm not creating this rule and judging you by it. It's just something I've imposed on myself because this is a weakness of mine. 
and I say, okay, when my eyes wake up and I wake up first thing in the morning, I will not roll around and let my heat, feet hit the floor until I pray 10 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever the time is. I'm, I'm just not going to do that. And I continually impose that rule on myself. And then hopefully after a period of time, and I don't know if it's one month or eight months, but that behavior becomes a habit. Okay? But the problem is, if it just becomes a habit, even though I'm doing it regularly and I'm doing it automatically, it still might not be a kingdom experience for me because it's just something rote. But what happens when that communication with God becomes so part of my being that I become joyful and dependent on him? You know what happens? I'm starting to get to that kingdom experience. So I got to go the rule to the habit to get the kingdom experience. Amen? And I think, wow, if I can only do that in every part of my life, and then I start legislating different things to get me there, guess what? I've become a legalist again. So, so, so how do I, is it by faith? Or is it by works? And the answer is, yes, it's both. Right? And I got scripture for it. Let me give you another example. I've got scripture for it. I'm going to show you the scripture in a second. But, but part of it is, <clears throat> I called a good preacher friend of mine and was ex- describing this earlier. And he says, ah, Dolph. I says, I know where you're going. He says, it is both sides of sanctification. See, part of sanctification is putting off and part of sanctification is putting on, right? You, you, you do both. So, so it's, 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 it's mortifying, but it's also vivifying or, or, or replacing it with something good. So, so, so how do you do that? Well, let me give you the scripture first. I'm going to show you I'm just not making stuff up. Okay. The first thing I want to go to is Romans 13 and verse 12. I got about four verses I want to read to you. It says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. There's the taking off and there's the putting on. Okay. You know what? That takes discipline. It takes discipline to do that. Sometimes you've got to force yourself to do that. Let me read you another passage. Colossians 3, verse 8 and 9 is the putting off. Verse 12 through 13 is the putting on. Verse 8. But now ye also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filth, com- filthy communications, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, Then I skip down to verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, even if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you also. That takes work. It takes fortitude. But the problem is, is the discipline to kind of get it rolling takes work. 
But if it's only work and there's no faith involved, then it becomes an exercise in just legalism. So there's got to be faith there too. That's why I'm trying to, and I've got some illustrations and I'll, I'll, I'll get there in a second. But what I'm trying to show you is the dilemma I've been wrestling, wrestling with for two weeks to try to explain this. And what we're, I'm trying to explain is driving down the road between works and faith. And, and it's, 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 hard. it's hard to teach. It's hard to preach, let alone just to get it and implement it yourself. But I'm telling you what, if we can get our arms around this and understand the difference and understand what that la- that's our life, I think we'll have more kingdom experiences while we're here on earth. And that's what the goal is. Okay? Let's go again. Okay? Here it is. Here is the faith and here is the works. This is Paul speaking of himself. He says, "Where this is in Colossians 1 and 29, the last verse in chapter 1. Whereunto I also labor striving. There's the works. Got it? I'm working and I'm striving. You know, striving's a strong word. I'm just, I, I do it and I do it and I do it and I do it. The verb there is do, yes. But notice, according to his working, which worketh in me mightily, there's the faith. It's both. You need both. Okay? Let me read another passage for you. This is in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. Let every man that striveth, there it is. Notice where it says way down in the bottom of verse 27. It says, but I keep my body under and bring it under subjection. That's the work. That's the putting off and the putting on. But notice how it gets done. It gets done through the faith. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a a corrupt crown, but we an incorruptible crown. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep my body under, I keep my body and bring it under subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So there's something I do, and it's based on, it's it's not beating the air, it's not just a bunch of works, it's something that God's given me, it's that faith that he planted inside me. I need both. I need the discipline to do it, and that takes the strength, but I also need the faith to motivate me to do it. So, how does this work? Man, this is the hard part. Okay? So what I want to do is I want to start with the Sabbath. Now, when we went to the but I says, there were six but I says, there were several of the Ten Commandments that was listed there. But the reason why I'm picking the Sabbath is because Jesus was accused of breaking the Sabbath at least a half a dozen times. Okay? Okay, before I read this, let me, let me give you the illustrations straight up. And I was trying to do this in a way, and, and I kind of got permission yesterday at the kitchen table, at the kitchen counter, from my family. I'm going to use them as an example, okay? And I'm not doing it to elevate it. I'm not doing it to embarrass. I'm not doing it to puff up. This is just the best example I could use, I could think of at the time, okay? As long as my daughters have been alive, 
I've been a preacher. And as a preacher, we've always been pretty busy on Sunday morning. Okay? I've tried to establish Sunday morning is pretty important. Okay? We don't take jobs that work on Sunday. We don't engage in athletic endeavors that, that, that participate or have competitions on Sunday. We try to clear our schedule for Sundays. At the same time, we look at Jesus and we understand Jesus was accused of doing things on Sunday and there are um, examples of oxes getting in the ditch and we get all that, right? So let me give you several examples. The first one is, I'll, I'll just go right in order as they're sitting here, okay? And one of them disappeared. <laughs> but anyway, I'll, I'll go with, 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 with Emma for a second. Emma worked at a retail store for several years and they tried to promote her a couple of times, okay? And each time they tried to promote her, they would say, but this promotion is going to require you opening the store two Sundays a month. And she said, nope, I'm going to pass on that promotion. And she passed on it a couple times. Stay with me. And she passed on it a couple times. And then finally, the third time around, the woman that was the manager of the store got pregnant. She's having a baby. And she says, I'm going to make it to you. And you don't have to work Sundays. And she said, okay. But they asked her to close two Sundays a month from 2 o'clock to 6 o'clock. Okay? So she comes to church. She's in church. And two Sundays a month, she gets in her car and hustles over there. But before she gets there, she's got to bring the change of clothes and, you know, have the clothes that's appropriate for the work and all that kind of stuff. My point is, she honored the principle. And I believe the Lord blesses her for that. But the exception has a cost. That closing, that working two afternoons has a cost. Do you understand? Okay, let me give you another example. I'm going to go with Hope. Hope's worked at a restaurant and she's waited tables and they're open on Sundays. And when she hired in, she said, no Sundays. And she doesn't work Sundays. But sometimes they make her close on Saturday night. And when you close at Saturday night, sometimes she doesn't get out of there to midnight. That comes with a cost. She's honoring God, but there's a cost there. Do you understand? And I can go with my wife, Deborah. Deborah has a job where she sat with an old woman, a woman in her 90s that had Alzheimer's. And when she hired in, she said, no Sundays. Well, she did, and she worked a couple day shifts and on a Thursday and a Friday. And she did that for a couple years, but after a couple years, they had this group of women in a rotation. And one of the people in the rotation, Dad got really sick. And she said, just for a period of time, my siblings and I are taking care of my dad, and I need to back out of a couple shifts. And it was just for a short period of time. And with that short period of time, what happened was, is, is she says, okay, I'll take a shift. And they gave her 
one shift once a month from 3 p.m. on Sunday to 6 a.m., a 15-hour shift, just one time a week, 3 o'clock, well after church. But you know what? You asked Deborah, that shift came with a cost. Do you understand? It's just a short time, just to the lady had her baby and came back to work, an ox in the ditch. Yeah, we can justify that. We can do Deborah's. Well, it's just her dad got better because they, they, they wanted to see how it would play out, whether they had to hire someone new or not. Just a couple months to get by. But it came with a cost. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Whenever we tweak God's principles, no matter what good intention it is, there's a cost. Do you understand? And, and there's part of us where we don't want to be legalists and say, aha, you sinned, that's an example. But at the same time, there comes a point in time where you've got to realize those costs start adding up. And Deborah has to say, well, this was just supposed to be a couple of months. I wanted to help you out, but now it looks like it's two years later. It's permanent. You still got me doing this. I think I needed to get another job. Do you understand? So, so my point is, is when we're looking at life, there's principles and there's rules and there's habits. And when we throw ourselves completely at God and we are managing ourselves by his principles, we can go to those kingdom experiences. Do you understand? And sometimes it takes rules and habits to get us there. But other times when we tweak God's principles just a little bit, it comes with a cost and those costs start adding up and they cost us the principles or or they cost us the kingdom experiences. You're looking at me like I'm just, I'm talking Greek right now. I hope, does it it make a little bit of sense? I've got more scripture and more examples. But, But that's what it is. Got it? Okay. All right, let's, let's, let's look at Scripture. Let's look at this, this passage right here. This is in Exodus 20. This is 8 and 9, and this is the law. This is the, one of the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about this Sabbath. I've just given you a couple practical illustrations. Okay? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within the gates. You don't even work the ox. Okay? For in six days the Lord had made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the seventh Sabbath day and hallowed it. That was his principle. Okay, And as we learned last week, the Sabbath was pretty important. The preacher got up here and said, on January 1st, get your calendar out. And on every Sunday morning, write booked. Yes, remember that? He wrote that. That that was the principle. Do oxes get in the ditch? Yeah, sometimes they get in the ditch. I get that. Got that? But in the Old Testament... He was treating us like such little kids that look at these penalties. Okay? This is in Exodus 31, verse 12 through 15. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also in the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord hath thus sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy, and every one that defile it shall surely put to death. Whoa, you just took Sabbath raising to a new level, right, God? Yes. For whoso doeth any work thereon, the soul that shall be cut off from among his people, six days may work be done. But the seventh is the Sabbath. Holy to the Lord, whosoever doeth any work on the Sabbath, he shall surely be put to death. Hmm. Huh. Sounds like you're pretty serious about this Sabbath keeping, Lord. Just to get a second witness, let's go to Numbers 15, 32. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks on the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation. And they put him in the ward because it was not declared what he should be done unto him. And the Lord said to Moses, this man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones and he died. As the Lord commanded. That's pretty serious stuff in the Old Testament, huh? Yes. So along comes Jesus Christ. And he starts doing things on the Sabbath. And Jesus is accused of breaking the Sabbath. And, but the thing is, is there's some principles in Sabbath keeping from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You see, when Jesus is walking along, he was asking them the question, let's suppose I find a man that's about ready to die. Should I try to help him and save his life? Or I just say, well, hang tough till it's 1201. Or do I let him die? And he says, no, I save them. And he says, what if you got a bunch of livestock that need to be watered on the Sabbath? Should I just let them to tough it out? Or do I actually water my livestock? Or what if an ox falls into a pit? And I said, well, wait to 1201, I'll be back. Hope you can stick it out. No, he says, pull it out. And my favorite is, what about them priests? They work their little tail feathers off on the Sabbath, right? It's my busiest day of the week. So so there's something going on here. How does that work? Well, when we're talking about the Sabbath, see, see, there's... There's practices that we try to implement in my household. Let me, let me just, and it's the difference between honoring God through a principle versus legalism. And it's based on faith, and I'm trying to drive that middle road. I'll give you an example. I try, I try to reject Saturday evening invitations I won't, I won't reject a Friday night invitation but I try to reject Saturday evening re- re- invitations why? because it tuckers me out for Sunday 
I try to because that's my big day. I try. And you know what else I try to do? I try to encourage Deborah to cook the potluck meal on Saturday and not Sunday morning. Is that something I can go church-wide and say, thou shalt do this? Some preachers have tried it. Okay? But that's for me and my family. And my point is, when I don't do those things, there's a cost. Do you understand? It's like, let's take something other. God has a design for the family. And he would like moms to be keepers of the home. Amen? And any time we tweak that, there's a cost. God has a design for a preacher. If a church can, they need to try to help him and pay for him. And when that doesn't, there's a cost. Do you understand? If he works a secular job, I'm happy to work a secular job. But there's a cost. If I'm working 40, 50 hours at work and 40, 50 hours preparing sermons and doing things, there's a cost. The cost is to my marriage. The cost is to my children. The cost is visiting the older ladies that don't get visited because there's a cost. Do you understand? So my point is, those kingdom experiences come when we strive towards God's principles. And, and how we do that, sometimes it takes self-discipline, but when we do it and we create all these rules to do it, we become legalist and we miss the boat. So there's a balance between faith and legalism. I, I, some of you are nodding and getting that. I, I, I wish I could draw a better line, but if I did, I'm jumping in the legalist ditch. Somehow we got to drive. And, and that's that old line. My grandma Conti, right off the boat from Italy, she used to tell us, spinta dritt. That means drive straight. Avoid that ditch, avoid that ditch, center the road. Well, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to go between the works and the faith, but it takes both. I hope that makes a little bit of sense. So what I did is I went back to Scripture and I looked up the phrase, kingdom of heaven. Okay, and I've got a couple verses up here right now. And I want to talk, what does it take to enjoy that kingdom of heaven? Okay, and there's, there's a bunch of parables, and we'll look at a couple of those in a second. But here are some commands. The first one is in, these are all in Matthew. <clears throat> Matter of fact, the phrase kingdom of heaven only shows up in the book of Matthew. And the other three Gospels, it's the kingdom of God. But there's something about that Jewish audience that kingdom of heaven meant something very special to the Jewish folks he was talking to. And that's why these are all in there, because I looked up the phrase kingdom of heaven. Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of, of heaven. Whosoever shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's something about... <clears throat> working towards God's principles, something about it, that if we could act, when, when it says a little child, I'm, I'm bearing down at about a four or five-year-old, something about their energy. When, when, when a four or five-year-old, every four or five-year-old I ever met, 
when you're bearing down and they are in the middle of doing something, they are so focused, they are so tunnel vision, they don't even want to take time out to go potty. Right? That's it. And if there's some way we could be that kind of focused towards God's principles, I think we would get more. That's part of the faith, but that's also part of the the focus. Amen? And there's part of it also being humble. Right? There's there's a humility involved. And and four or five-year-olds, in a lot, they are humble. They, they, They look at dad... And, you know, even my sons, when I, they were four and five, they thought I could beat Michael Jordan one-on-one in basketball. They could outbox Muhammad Ali in his prime. They, Dad is the greatest. There's something about a four or five, and, and something about God and God's commandments. We look at God that way, and we, he's the greatest. And if we could ever get a hold of a little bit of that, we're going to enjoy some more kingdom experiences here. So, so, so in order to get that, we got to gear it down. But you know what? As we get older, we get more reserved. And here's a couple things. This is in 19 and 23. Jesus said to his disciples and said unto him that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, why is that? Well, he's become self-made He understands that money can get him out of a lot of jams and a lot of uncomfortable situations. And the reason is, is I can take care of this one. But the problem is, is you can't take care of all these things. You need the Lord. And the same thing is true of the Pharisees in 23.13. The scribes and Pharisees shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. They didn't go in, and they were keeping other people from going in with their teachers because they were so afraid of their power and their prestige. And with that, they didn't have that humility that it took to get there. So there's a part of our mindset that keeps us from getting into the kingdom of heaven. And we've got to strip that self-reliance and become as a kid. You know what we're talking here? In a lot of ways, we're talking about maturity, spiritual maturity. But in essence, to be spiritually mature, you got to act like a little kid. How does that work? I don't know. I'm still working on it. But but that's that center of the road. That's That's what we're driving down. And then what happened? I looked at it, and I looked at a couple more, the diligence. Okay, let me read these to you. The diligence that facilitates kingdom experiences. In Matthew 7, 21, it says, Not all that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. That means no cherry-picking the verses. Why do you cherry-pick God's verses? Because you're smarter than him? No, no. Matthew 25 and 1, it's a parable. The kingdom of heaven is likened to ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. If you remember that parable, ten of, five of them immediately went out and filled their oil lamps, and five of them didn't. Well, what's the difference? When God tells you to something, do it. I got time. No, you don't have time. I mean, if you're that little child... <laughs> 
I, I think I've shared this before. There was one time, and I can't remember if it was Emma or Hope. I think it was Hope. But we told of a, a vacation, a, not a vacation, a trip back up to Michigan where we were going to go. And I remember, the, oh, we're going to see Grandma and Grandpa? Yeah, when are we going to go? A week and a half. You know what she did? She ran upstairs and packed her bag. Not me. I did it 10 minutes before we left. Do you understand? But, but, but she was ready to go. There was that anticipation there. Well, with the things of God, we don't know when something's going to happen. Well, there was these five of these virgins says, I'll, I'll, I'll have time. I'll get to that later. And five of them did a lickety split. They did it right off. And then 2514, the kingdom of heaven is man traveling into a far country and he called his servants and he gave one five talents, one two talents, and one one talent. Well, two of them got to work and they worked diligently from the get-go. One of them was afraid. Well, we're, we're, we're not, we might not be afraid of losing the talent, but we might be afraid of looking weird, right? Or uh, he might think ill of me if I share the gospel. And I do believe those talents there are talking about sharing the gospel. I think that's the parable in that. You share the gospel? Well, I'm not going to share the gospel. I'm afraid. No, you go ahead and you do it right out of the chute. So, 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 so part of it is, is I want those kingdom experiences. And, and, and I do it. There's, there, there's part of it in my attitude. There's part of it in my diligences. But here's the last one, the thoroughness. These are all in Matthew 13, Okay. The parable that's described here in 24 and 25, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which soweth good seed, and his enemies sow tares. And you know what he did? <clears throat> he said, he sowed some good seed, and the bad guy came in, and the enemy went and sowed some weeds in there purposely. And he woke up, and things started sprouting up. And the one man says, you know what? At risk of missing one precious plant, I'm just going to wait. I don't want to miss a single blessing. Keep that in mind. 1333, the kingdom of heaven is like in leaven where a woman hid the measures till all was leavened. It went and it permeated everything. What if the love of God permeated everything you did? Okay? Just one more. I'll, I'll tie these together in a second. 1344. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in the field for joy self, and he buyeth the whole field. But I really only need a three by three square plot where the treasure's hidden. But I'm going to buy the whole acre. But I don't need the whole acre. But that precious thing is so jewel. I liken that to the local church. There is no perfect local church. Right? I'm going to join that church because in that church, there's a treasure. There's some land that, yeah, I know. But as Pete told me earlier, if you're looking for the perfect church, don't join it because then you'll have to quit because then it became imperfect as soon as you joined it, right? Yep. But I'm willing to get that whole field to get that treasure. And the last one, 1347. The kingdom of heaven are like a net that was cast into the sea and gathered every kind. They were just line fishing. No, you don't line fish. What he did is he threw a net and got everything in and he had, to, and he had chunked some bad stuff out. But he kept the good vessels. Notice the thoroughness of it. So, so when we go, 
we in our Christian walks, we like to cherry pick. We like to pick and choose. No, I don't want to lose a single blessing. I know. Sometimes when I join this group of people, there's some things I'm a little bit uncomfortable with, but there's a jewel there, and I'm willing to suffer that. Do you understand the thoroughness? Well, that's part of it too. I, I really think that that's part of it too. All right. Let me try something else, okay? How am I doing on time? Ooh, my time's going. Okay. Let's try something. Okay, let's talk about kingdom experiences. Let's talk about law. Let's talk about faith. About a year ago, I preached a message from Matthew 18. Remember Matthew 18? Whenever you hear Matthew 18, you think, oh, okay, when I'm having trouble with someone, I'm Matthew 18. That's what's quoted, right? And there's three verses there. That says, if I have a problem with, with a brother in the church, I'm supposed to go to him, and, and then it doesn't get resolved, I bring a couple more. It doesn't get resolved, I bring the whole church, right? If. You look at Matthew 15 as a technicality to be made right. My guess is you're never going to enter the kingdom of God. But if you use Matthew 18 to restore him, like the previous context is talking about, you got a chance to enjoy the kingdom experience. That guideline, that framework is given you, those are the steps you take. But if the reasons why you're doing it is to get, enforce your rights to make your restitution, you know what? You just missed the boat. You need the works and you need the faith. Does that make a little sense? I talked to you about... Let's go children's sports. One more. This is the last illustration I'll use, okay? Okay, let's suppose you're your dad, and you've got a son or a daughter, and they want to play a sport, okay? And they come to you, and, Dad, I want to play this soccer team or this baseball team or whatever team it is. And here's the schedule. And of the schedule, 14 games, only two are on Sunday. Can I join? And you go, no. Comes back maybe a week later and says, Dad, here's a team, and they got 14 games. But only two of the games are on Sunday, but they're at 1 o'clock. So we can go to church. I can change in the backseat of the car, and we can hustle across town and get there, and I can play the game. Only two. There's a cost. Amen? What's the cost? The, the preparation to get ready for the baseball game before church instead of praying about God? The thinking about the game while the preacher's preaching? <laughs> the lack of meditation and I'm trying to hit red, driving through yellow lights and orange lights and occasionally a pink light? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about with those? Yeah the state of mind I am when I get there, right? Maybe there was a visitor there that needed to ask a question. You understand all that, right? There's a cost. And you go, nope. And then you go, okay, so some more time goes, Ted, I got this other team. And they don't have any Sunday games. But that's when they play the rainouts. That's a 
certainly an ox in the ditch, isn't it? My point is, you make your decisions the best you can. And I can't tell your conscience, yes or no, to any of those. You'll have to decide on your own. But there comes a point in a time where you pile up enough of these activities where there's a cost, and the cost costs you the kingdom of heaven. It costs you those experiences. And I know you're saying, Brother Dolph, this is the most ambiguous, vague message you've ever preached. And I'm saying, yeah, amen, probably. But just getting you to recognize these things is a huge step forward. Do you understand? I understand that occasionally situations come and, and wives have to work. And, and, and again, when, when you... When you you know, there's, there's some folks that go overboard, and I'm thinking if two, young, two people get together and there's no children and they, and they work, praise the Lord. Or if it's empty nester and all the kids are married and they're out and you work to help retirement or do something to help kids or something, I said, amen, I get all that. But I'm talking about when the kids are home. And, and, and well, this is only one day a week. There's a cost to the children, the inconsistency in the, raising the children. Do you understand? But if my husband gets sick, and that is an ox in the road. I get it. But what happens if there's an, always an ox in the road? Every week there's an ox in the road. Every month there's an ox in the road. Then it might be time, well, maybe we should buy a little smaller house so we can cover that. There comes a point in time where you realize all these exceptions on a one-by-one one base, you go, I'm clear, I'm clear, I'm clear. But when you take a look at the total picture, there's so many oxes in your road. Maybe you got to be that farmer. And, <sighs> maybe on Saturday, I got to go back and inspect all my fences before Sunday morning. Do you understand? There comes a point in time where I, I got to take steps to try to do that. Well, now you're sounding like a legalist. Yeah, I'm trying to drive down the middle of the road. So I've set up a rule. I inspect my fences before every Sabbath so I don't have to deal with that dumb old ox that keeps falling in the pit. Amen? Or, or maybe I decide <laughs> I'm going to farm sheep and not ox because they don't get in the ditch all the time. Yeah? Or maybe <laughs> I'm going to grow hay instead of farming animals. But, but, but there's a point in time where these, the, these exceptions start piling up and the costs start piling up and you look and you go, where'd my family go? I haven't been close to the Lord. It's, it's, it's a balance. And I don't know how else to explain it. But, but you have to recognize it's there. All right, that's enough babbling. I hope this was some, of some help. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.